Hey, brewery lovers, welcome to the DC Beer Show for the week of Wednesday, April 17th through Tuesday, April 23rd. All right, uh, we got Mike Stein, Richard Fawal here. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Greetings out there to everyone in Beerland. Hope you had a lovely beer filled weekend. And if not, you've got a beer filled week coming up. Yeah, lots going on. Uh, a lot of news going on that uh, Mike is here to tell you all about. Yes, indeed. So we're going to start with local news and expand out into national news, all the brews news you can use. So locally, uh, Kyrissian in the Shaw neighborhood is closing. That is Chef Tim Ma's restaurant. And we have a special place in our heart for Chef Tim Ma as we conduct the D.C. beer dinner with him way back in the day uh, with myself and former editor, editor emeritus Chris Van Orden. Uh, we did a D.C. beer dinner out at the Maple Ave restaurant in Vienna, Virginia. And Tim was actually the first chef I had ever heard say, quote, beer clean. And we have a beer clean day coming out. If you scope it out on Twitter, I think it's April 27th. Don't quote me on that. But it's interesting that beer clean day is coming up. So our our condolences to Tim on his restaurant closing, but we know he's on and off to bigger and better things. The next news item is Walter's Sports Bar at 10 N Street Southeast. So the corner of South Capitol Street and N Streets. Uh, Walters has 24 taps and celebrated its opening day Sunday, which features local draft from some of our favorite producers brewed or fermented in the district. Three Stars, Atlas, D.C. Brow, Right Proper, Port City, and then outside the district, Union, RAR, Solace, and then rounding out the list is Cider from Ancho. You don't brew cider, you ferment it. And so uh, they also have some international bangers coming from Germany and Belgium. They have, uh, like I said, 24 taps. So if things are packed at your favorite spot you normally go to around National Stadium for baseball, check out Walters. New option in the neighborhood. The next bit of local news uh, overlapping with, with national news is Savor, the Brewers Association's uh, great celebration of food and drink, is back in May. In this case, May 17th. Noticeably, though, they're only coming back for one night, and that's a bit different than in years past. Similar to last year, there are no salons, nothing uh, happening, private meetings or uh, discussions with the brewers beforehand. But there's been a move to a VIP format, so we're eager to see how that plays out this year. According to DC Beer editor Jake Berg, the event is still not sold out. So we'll see what happens in the lead up to May 17th. Coming a bit further afield, or as close as Richmond, per Stone, new at Stone locations this month, mix six-packs of Stone IPA, Stone Tropic of Thunder Lager, and Stone Tangerine Express IPA, because let's face it, we make too many great beers for you to choose just one. So that quote comes from Stone, who is interestingly mimicking the attempts of local brewers, D.C. Brow and Port City, who've already put their beers in variety packs. In D.C. Brow's variety pack, they've got Public Corruption Brow Pills and Joint Resolution Brands. Port City has their ales in a mix pack featuring their Porter, Integral, Wit, and Monumental brands. Variety is the spice of life. Buy one pack, get many varieties. Love it. Yeah. Uh, in more national news, big news now, Patagonia is suing ABI, Anheuser-Busch InBev. Patagonia has filed a trademark infringement lawsuit against AB. According to Brewbound, quote, in the case filed in California federal court, Patagonia alleges that AB is attempting to co-op its 40-year-old apparel company's brand and reputation, including making promises to plant a tree for every case of Patagonia beer sold, as well as developing a, quote, strikingly similar logo that features a mountain silhouette, Law 360 reported. 
The clothing company also took umbrage with AB's marketing efforts at Colorado ski resorts, where the beer company gave away its Patagonia-branded clothing, end quote. Now, if you're paying attention, you know that this is a second prominent lawsuit brought against AB this year. Miller Coors filed a lawsuit in March over this year's Super Bowl ad campaign for Bud Light, quote, claiming a violation of trademark law that was designed to falsely mislead, falsely mis mislead consumers as well as dilute or tarnish the trademark of Miller Coors, end quote. That's coming from GritDaily.com. And they also write, according to Miller Coors, the use of corn syrup solely as a brewing adjunct has never been a secret. The problem, according to the company, is that this ad made it seem as if the company uses corn syrup or high fructose corn syrup in its final product, which ends up in the consumer's glass can or a bottle of Miller Lite or Coors Lite, end quote. And if you want to try a local beer with corn, check out DC Brow's Tuk Tuk International Rice Lager. Check I got to out- say, I had uh, a couple of those yesterday. Nice. Uh, yes, this is Monday. We're recording on Monday. Uh, but I was there for an event at DC Brow and I hadn't had it. And it's really drinkable. It's a tasty beverage. Yep. Um, if you want another example, check out Boulevard Brewing's Tank 7, a fantastic saison farmhouse style beer. So there's a lot of beer brewed with rice and corn that don't taste like the number one and two beers in America. If you want to try <laughs> if variety is truly the spice of life. Um, but so both Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors have breweries in Virginia, which I believe are the largest breweries in the state of Virginia. I do know, uh, based on research, that in 2017, the Miller Coors Shenandoah Valley brewed up to 8 million barrels with 483 employees. So both Miller Coors and Anheuser-Busch are big big employers in the state of Virginia. Um, Another bit of news, the North American Guild of Beer Writers awarded their 2019 diversity and beer writing grants to Cynthia R. Greenless, PhD, and Beth Demon. So a little bit more about the award winner. Cynthia R. Greenley, PhD, is a historian and journalist based in Durham, North Carolina. For her article, tentatively titled Moonshine, Homebrew, and Dandelion Wine, Black Bootleggers and the Hidden History of Beer City, she's researching African-American contributions to drinking culture around Asheville, North Carolina in the mid-20th century. And I just have to say, I'm so pumped. Whatever this article is named, I'm going to read it a million times over because this is an area of research that is very dear to me. I've conducted a little bit, but I'm really curious to see what Dr. Greenlee comes up with in her writing. The second award winner, grantee, is Beth Demon, a San Diego-based journalist who will report on the cross-section of enthusiasm for beer and parenthood. A little bit more about Beth. We're actually going to be interviewing her and have an article uh, with our profile of her up on the site. She actually is local to the area as a Nova Virginia uh, originatee. She's originally from Northern Virginia, and so we're excited to see. She'll explore the story of how a generation of craft beer lovers who have come to frequent tap rooms integrate their interest with growing families and how choosing between personal and professional passions can mean that kids are inevitably going to be in beer-focused spaces. So we're very eager for that article. We've had lots of emails flying on the DC we beer listserv. <laughs> it's an uh, interesting topic of conversation because, I mean, we all go to tap rooms uh, quite often. We see a lot of kids there. And uh, one of the conversations we were having amongst the, the writers and editors at DC Beer was the differences in ages and how that affects it. Um, you know, I have a teenage daughter who can go to a brewery, but there's nothing for her to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's yeah. not, can't give her a toy. Right. You know, right. It's different uh, with my three year old who will just be a tornado bull in a china shop. 
but if he has his his uh, iPad or electronic device, he can just zonk right. out for a while, right? And yeah. so there are fundamental differences. Um, internationally, how kids in beer drinking countries abroad are, you know, listened to or acted towards. Uh, and then versus even in the U.S., we have differences. You might find a difference between Virginia, D.C., and Maryland breweries or going mm-hmm, back to your mm-hmm. roots in Texas. It, it might right. look very different in Texas than it yeah. does in the district. So. so it's a really interesting topic because uh, there's so many – the idea of kid-friendly tap rooms is such a big uh, big deal in the industry. Um, but really understanding the, the how that works and how it works for parents and where the line is and 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 kids in these environments. So I'm really interested in yeah, reading that There's so from many her. entry points. We're, we'll, we'll see how Beth wraps that up. Um, and so my last bit of news is finally, for the first time ever, Powers Farm Brewery out of Virginia is bringing their Berliner Weisse style beer to the district. Cabin and Cottage is a collaboration uh, with myself, my beverage research firm, Lost Loggers, as well as Lincoln's Cottage, President Lincoln's Cottage up in the Petworth neighborhood, and the Chicago Bruseum, who are the preservers of Chicago beer history. So shameless self-promotion. Check out the beer that we're bringing in uh, on April 20th. Go to dcbeer.com. You can read the article, Chicago Bruseum Comes to D.C. as there's a whole slate of events. They'll be at the Hyrick House Thursday night. They'll be at Right Proper Saturday. Uh, excuse me, Right Proper Brew Pub Friday with Teresa McCullough, America's beer historian. Uh, My good buddy Teresa will be with Liz Garibay, who's the executive director of the Chicago Bruseum. And then Saturday, come check out uh, a special beer release. The event is called Brews and Cues. And for 10 bucks, you get a great evening of trivia as well as this historically uh, inspired Berliner Weisse. So a lot of people don't know, but this this region, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, had a lot of Berliner Weisse-style brewers with a massive German influx, uh, both pre- and post-Civil War. Eventually, uh, almost all of the Berliner Weisse brewers die uh, in making way for the lager beer brewers who are just cranking it out. So it's a little-known style um, that's getting really hot, more and more known every day. You've got breweries like Stone and, and National Dis- Distributor Breweries rolling out Berliner Weisses, but the history of it in the U.S. is actually different than the history of it in Germany. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do the old Venn diagram, compare and contrast, <laughs> uh, bring yourself, bring your family. It'll be a great event at President Lincoln's Cottage, where when President Lincoln was president, he used to go retreat from his uh, stressful job at Pennsylvania Avenue and go way up to the country. Petworth. All the way up to Petworth. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for that quick rundown. There is one other piece of news that uh, by now I'm sure everyone has heard. And that is that Meridian Pint in Columbia Heights is closing. We are really sad to hear that news. Um, Technically, they're moving to Arlington. So it's awesome for those of you in Arlington in Virginia. You're getting a new great place. But uh, Columbia Heights neighborhood is losing – what's well, been nine years of a, of a yes. classic standard An institution. So many special releases, beers never available in DC before. And just so many, um, just interesting news items, uh, around that bar that we're really wishing them the best of luck as they carry on the legacy in Arlington and hopefully continue to tell the story of DC beer. In- well, there's keeping open their other, uh, their other sort of pint properties, Brooklyn pint, uh, is not going anywhere right. at so this point. So we could point. go to Brooklyn Pint. Could we go to Smoke and Barrel? Smoke and Barrel, All not right. going anywhere, right. uh, according to the news we've heard. Uh, so we just wanted to share that. And let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff going on this week uh, in the event category. It's a little bit of a quiet week. It's Easter. 
this week for uh, all the Christians out there. So I think a lot of the breweries are kind of toning down their weekend activities. Yeah, dialing it down a bit. Um, but on Thursday, here's an event you do not want to miss. At the Sovereign in Georgetown, they are showcasing the beers of Brasserie Fantôme. Uh, this brewery was founded in 1988 uh, and is considered one of the world's best brewers of Belgian saisons. So if you really want like farmhouse saisons, a traditional, the real thing from Belgium, this is a great opportunity. I think they've got something like 10 or more wow. different beers from uh, Brasserie Fantôme. Uh, highlights include the Bright Green Magic Ghost, which is brewed with green tea, and Ghost in the Kettle, a collaboration with Saint Somewhere, Barley Forge, and Bean Curd Turtle. Hmm. I don't know what Bean Curd Turtle is, do you? <laughs> no, but we'll find <laughs> out on Saturday. So that starts at 5 o'clock on Thursday, uh, April 18th. Uh, you can find more info at dcbeer.com, of course. Then on Saturday, April 20th, uh, Owen's Ordinary in North Bethesda is having a Springfest party to kick off the season in their beer garden. They are going to have beers from Diamondback, Manor Hill, Burley Oak, Kushwa, Union, Rare, Brewer's Art, and True Respite. And it all starts with an egg hunt for the kids at 11 a.m. And then they're going to have Bavarian food and live music. There is no charge to uh, join them up at Owen's Ordinary in North Bethesda. And you get a free commemorative half-liter mug if you purchase a half-liter of beer. Oh, so Thursday, go to Georgetown for some Phantom, right? Uh, which I have to say was just so hard to come by in D.C. forever. You couldn't find it. You'd have to go to Belgium yeah. and fly home with it. It's still um, hard. And now it's here, and it's still really scarce in market. Yeah. So check them out Thursday. Uh, Saturday, Owen's Ordinary. Go, yep. go up to Maryland, see some of the finest RAR Union, the others mentioned. Uh, also, if you're celebrating Passover on Saturday, sure. if you're not super devout, go for some Bavarian <laughs> food and Maryland brew in the morning and then have a happy uh, Passover <laughs> afterwards. Uh, let's see. What else is happening? Oh, Sunday. We want to let everybody know that Sunday brunch at Meridian Pint will be the last one they do this Sunday, uh, April 21st. It's Easter Sunday, but um, if you are not a celebrator of that uh, or Passover and you want to head out to Meridian Pint for their very last Sunday brunch, you can do that this Sunday. They are permanently closing at 4 p.m. Sunday. So Sunday brunch, Easter Sunday, but Meridian Pint will not rise again. Nope. Nope. Oh, that was Pardon me. Please pardon me. But do know that we love all our brothers and sisters out there, whatever your faith, even if of course. you don't drink, of course, we still have much love for you. Um, and I want to give a, another shameless plug to the Catholic Beer Club, uh, oh. to, to Brother Ignacio and, and James Grimaldi. So there is actually a Catholic Beer Club of D.C., and they have meetings, Hellbender, uh, Atlas, Brow. Uh, Red Bear, they meet all over the city. So Great. check that out if you are of that denomination. And the last event we want to let you know about is, of course, the Tuesday Brews Day at Kramer's Bar and Cafe in DuPont Circle, sponsored by DC Beer. Uh, starts at 7 p.m., half price pints of 18 different beers, including rotating limited and specialty run drafts and cans. And they have dollar wings. So it's a great thing yeah. to do on Tuesdays. Uh, this week's specials include Larimer Brewing's 99 Problems But a Peach Ain't One, <laughs> uh, which is a tart peach and ginger sour. Solace Brewing's Liquid Bling, a limited run IPA with uh, big notes of mango, grapefruit, and pear. 
and Bell's Larry's latest flamingo fruit fight. Ooh, that's tough to say. Uh, tart <laughs> fruit ale brewed with passion fruit and lime zest. And then 15 more, 15 other beers. Whoa. All half price, 7 o'clock at uh, Kramer's Bar and Cafe in DuPont Circle for Tuesday Brews Day, sponsored by DC Beer. Check out Tuesday and Brews Day for some delicious sour ales, the Bells, as well as uh, Larimer. And it's amazing to me, between the Solace and the Larimer beers, how much... Uh, hip-hop lyrics and hip-hop iconography are just <laughs> continuing to bleed into craft beer, which right. is fantastic. Um, so, you know, take take a post and uh, give give Jay-Z his due while you drink 99 problems, but a peach ain't one. That's awesome. <laughs> you can get all the details about these and dozens of other craft beer events at dcbeer.com. Now, are you ready for the first part of Adam and my conversation with Julie Varati and Jeff Ramirez of Denizens. I am so ready. I am literally shaking in my shoes. <laughs> I'm up off my seat. My hairs are raised. Let's do this. We're going to be talking about the history of Denizens and everything that has led them to this point. And then in a few weeks, when their Riverdale Park uh, location oh, opens, we'll have the second half uh, where they really talk about the Riverdale Park oh, location, so what led it to them, and what's going to be special about that location. Oh, my God. Well, you know I'm such a sucker for history. I cannot wait to give this a listen. And I just saw on social uh, one of their employees took a huge shipment of Viaman Baca Pilsner malt. And Barca malt from Weiermann from uh, uh, Bomberg, Germany, is one of my all-time favorite malts. So you know they're going to be cranking out the quality product oh, once yeah. Riverdale's up and running. Yeah, and I've been there. I mean, we did the interviews there. It's going to be a really nice space, and the brew house is just gorgeous. Mm. I mean, it's one of those situations. You know, it's a brand new building, right? So they're not—they didn't take over a space. Yeah. You know, yeah. they went into a brand new building, and were—you know—they basically started with a clean slate, with a completely wow. uh, open canvas to build out their both tap room and their their brewing facility. Wow. So. Do you think Julie would let me crack a bottle of Bavarian Pilsner, kind of like a ship sailing off to, <laughs> to, to, to send the brew? I don't know. We should reach out to Julie. <laughs> i got to ask her. Can we smash a bottle on one of your fermenters? <laughs> I'll clean the glass. I promise. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, let's dive right into that. All right. We are back in Riverdale Park at the new Denizens location with Julie and Jeff. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is... The long-term sort of outlook for denizens and for craft brewing as a whole, and the pounding you're hearing in the background is Gold's Gym, which is above where we're standing today. <laughs> I apologize. I'll try to edit it and out. Some but overactive man, weightlifters. There is some weightlifting going I said on. It's up an there. aggressive Zumba class. It's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> All right, so. Julie, why don't you start off by telling us sort of what's what what's in line for denizens? What's in the plans for denizens um, once you get this place in Riverdale Park open and you've increased capacity? Like, what are you thinking long term? Um, I think we just want to really be able to continue making consistent beer and just making a lot more of it, uh, getting it into the hands of more and more consumers. Uh, you know, here in Riverdale Park, uh, this is going to be our production house and tap room. Whereas the one over in Silver Spring is really going to be the uh, barrel house and beer garden. That's kind of how we're calling the two different locations. Um, I think that, you know, we're currently in discussions with distributors. So we're looking at signing distribution agreements in certain areas. Um, we're going to continue self-distributing in Montgomery County as long as we possibly can. 
So, Julie, why don't you tell us where you see denizens and, and what the, your, y'all's plans are for the next five, and three to five years? Sure. So uh, we're actually currently in con- uh, conversations with distributors around the area, um, parts of Maryland, both the whole state of Maryland, as well as all of D.C., um, to try to get more of our beer into the hands of more consumers. Um, you know, we've been self-distributing for the past five years and that's taught us a lot about how distribution works. You know, what, what, what does work, what definitely doesn't work. Um, and we've, we've learned a lot from that. We just don't, you know, we, we have one truck and then one pickup truck. We don't have the manpower (laughs) or the, you know, the, the vehicles to get the beer to as many places as we'd like to. Um, so we're going to continue self-distributing in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, but we'll be signing with distributors imminently in the next couple months or so. Well, what, uh, let me let me interrupt you and ask sure. you, like, sort of, is it, it? Are you really just focusing on Maryland for long-term distribution? Or yeah, I, I really, being- yeah. So we're we're just going to be selling in Maryland, DC, and Virginia. I mean, we okay. have a distribution relationship in Virginia already. Right. We don't sell a lot of beer in Virginia. It's just basically kind of whatever we have extra we'll, we'll send out there. Um, but I really, uh, I really see, you know, focusing more on Maryland, focusing more on DC, which is, you know, what we've been doing, but we're just going to have a lot more beer to sell, uh, with this new production house and tap room. Um, you know, in silver spring, which we're calling the barrel house and beer garden, um, we're going to be making more seasonals and, you know, more of the barrel aged beer and the mixed fermentation stuff that, you know, Jeff, I think is um, pretty well known for. Um, I really see us as just making more beer and getting it into the hands of more consumers, still heavily focused on our tap room experience, um, as well as, you know, our restaurant experience. Um, I think that, you know, the chef that we have on our team is really elevating the menu even more. Um, I think we've been making really good food, um, but I think he's just sort of tweaking it to, to make it even, bringing it to that next level. Uh, have you thought at all, sorry, again, I'm, no, I'm okay. interrupting, but um, have you thought at all about the possibility of opening more tap rooms? Um, because you guys have this focus on food and you're putting mm-hmm. attention and, and, and care into the food part of the experience, mm-hmm. have you thought at all about expanding tap rooms? Even if, it, even if there's not a, a brewing facility, you know, opening a denizens in another part of Maryland where you're moving mm-hmm. the beer up and you're serving the same kind of food. Or even in Virginia or D.C. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've certainly thought about it and talked about it. I mean, right now we're just, it's our second location. We're focused on this right now. Um, I don't imagine that we would ever build another brewery, like another production facility. But I, I you never want to say never. Um but yeah, we've definitely had conversations about potentially doing that. I think right now it's really our focus is going to be in our home area, which I think is where most breweries are at this point. I think, you know, um, it it is going to be really, really difficult for any brewery that's opened within the last, I'd say, five to ten years to ever really become a regional brewery, um, you know, up and down the East Coast. that's well known by everybody. Definitely not a national brewery. It's just too competitive out there. And there's still breweries opening every single day. Um, So really focusing on your home area, focusing on your taproom experience, I think is really the way to be successful in this this industry right now. And how do you balance focusing on your home area and being a distribution brewery? 
um, by not distributing 60,000 barrels. You know, you, <laughs> right. you know, max capacity, you know, 10 years from now with both the Riverdale Park location and the Silver Spring location, assuming they're both up and running, you're only, you're talking about we're only making 15,000 barrels a year. So if you assume that, you know, a thousand to two thousand of those barrels, be great if it was two thousand, uh, are being sold in each tap room location. Uh, that only leaves, you know, ten to eleven thousand barrels of beer to be distributed. Um, that's not that huge in the scale of beer that's that's sent out. Um, I still think you need a distributor to help you move that level of product. Um, but it's not so overwhelming. I don't really want the lifestyle of waking up in like panic sweats in the middle of the night. You know, thinking, holy shit, I need to sell 50,000 barrels of beer right. this quarter. <laughs> yeah. I am not interested in that. And I don't think, I mean, I don't mean to speak for Jeff or Emily, but I imagine they probably feel the same way. I really don't care. You don't care. <laughs> okay. Just you, as long as I'm you're just, just making kidding. beer. No. Um, but also, like, when you ask about, you know, are you going to open other tap rooms? I mean, you have to look at what does the law allow? I mean. That's true. I'm, you know, folks who listen to this podcast and pay attention even remotely to Maryland beer um, understand that the rules and the laws in the state of Maryland have not always been advantageous for brewers. So I could sit here and say, yeah, sure, we're totally into opening tap rooms. That I haven't really even looked into the law yet about whether that's even legal. Right. So that's the first step: taking a look at the legal framework <laughs> and see what you're actually allowed to do before figuring that out. Well, Jeff, let me ask you to to step away from the business side and talk about the beer side. Well, it's always uh, it's the same thing. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. It it's is the same, same thing. thing. It is. It is uh, yeah, yeah. That, and that's actually a really important point to make. But in terms of where you see consumers going and and sort of what what consumers may be interested in over the next few years, is are there any trends that you're seeing coming, or are there any things that you want to do? with brewing um that you want to introduce consumers to and even and, and when i say that i mean i don't necessarily mean on a massive distribution scale but i mean you know introducing folks to some new stuff in the silver spring barrel house right and, and tap room there and the beer garden there to experiment with um as frankly i think that the consumer palette becomes more sophisticated a little bit right we all know what an ipa is and then now there's hazy ipas and you know and the juicy ipa you know but are there are there some things that you want to experiment with i always want to have a diverse offering yeah first and foremost in our tap rooms after our tap rooms there is the wholesale side which i hope that we can provide a diverse offering to mm -hmm. and that means you know, there's not too four, diverse. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, they got to manage that. But the, um, you know, there's four main ingredients in beer, right? Mm -hmm. Water, <laughs> yeast, malt, hops. Um, adjuncts of source can also be put in there. But the, uh, those things, if we can make a diverse offering while, you know, we have three strains that we keep in house all the time. For our triple and any Belgian style beers, our house ale strain and our lager strain. Then we've also brought in other Belgian style strains and a lot of Britannomyces, a lot of bacteria, a lot of other stuff at the, the barrel location. Um, you know, with that platform, we can make a lot of diverse beer, whether it's like 
to the production capacity that sales needs or whatever, that's a different story. But we've always started that way. And that's from day one. I would just like to refine our beer even more and then maybe experiment with more strains of yeast that are not as experimental as Britannomyces or bacteria or anything like that, which is not yeast, obviously. But, um, you know, just to refine beer because it's, yeah, this yeast can work for this other beer, but it's not necessarily like doing it justice, you know. So right. um, and having that flexibility be great. Uh, we've set up a, a location here that will actually allow us to propagate yeast strains from a small level to larger level. So make it a little bit more affordable for us as a company. Um, so all this stuff, beer is a main focus. And, you know, yes, I'm in charge of beer, but. Uh, Julie and Emily have also been very much an advocate for just making sure that we do as as quality as we can within our restrictions. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, but I yeah. just spoke. No, a lot. I think it does. <laughs> I mean, I think it gives us gives the folks a sense of sort of like it's the goal. Like Julie said earlier, this is a business, yeah. and 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 we talk on the show all the time about this is a business. It's mm-hmm. not. It's it, this isn't home brewing. And we love our homebrewing brothers, and Adam is a huge homebrewer and has been doing it for 20 years, and homebrewing is how most of the people who are doing this really got started. But ultimately, it's a business, and there's a, there's a lot of consumer response and some consumer education that goes into to, to what we're doing in, in craft beer. So that was a com- clear and complete answer okay. to the sort of where where things are going. Things are going like any other business where the consumer really finds the product that they want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, Julie, you talked before about how many breweries are opening up in the area. Do you think this area is saturated? Do you think there's room for more breweries? I mean, I don't think it's saturated. Um, I do think that uh, at some point in the very near future... It would. It's going to be a bad business decision to open another brewery. <laughs> I don't know when that future is. Um, you know, I tell people all the time when they're like, hey, I'm thinking of starting a brewery. What do you think about that? And I just say to folks, you should totally do it if you want to. There also is like a huge dearth of distributors right now. So yeah. maybe consider opening a distribution <laughs> company. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a lot of breweries that are looking for distributors and you only have so many choices. Mm. Um, and so... That's something I could I could see people being successful in. Also, very capital intensive uh, industry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, a lot of this stuff is cost prohibitive. You know, it it's funny too. You know, I homebrewed for a long time as well, and I I do love. I have not homebrewed since we opened Denison's. Sure, <laughs> um, I bet you miss it. Uh, sometimes, I actually no. I loved homebrewing, but I'm like I'm just not good at it, right. uh, and I'd much <laughs> rather drink beer that's well made and. I'm just not that good at making it. Um, you know, it's funny that you we were talking earlier about, you know, it's a business and all the things that go into the difference between, you know, like the home brewing and then, you know, actually running a business. You know, when we're opening right now, it's in the springtime. And in Maryland, the springtime is when annual renewal season is, whether it's the the state licensing or the local liquor <laughs> licensing. So just in the last like month or two, I have had to turn in, 
I think like eight different license applications, whether it be renewal or brand new. And so there's just all this, there's all of this stuff that sort of surrounds the beer industry in the background that consumers never see. Um, that just takes a lot of time and a lot of paperwork and a lot of effort. Uh, it's just, it's a complex industry. It's a complex business, complex business. You know, it's one of the things I love about it. You know, it's retail, it's hospitality, it's distribution, it's manufacturing. It's all of these things all wrapped into one, which is ripe for an opportunity to completely screw something up, but also <laughs> makes your day pretty interesting. You know, yeah. every day is different uh, and it's, it's people oriented. And I, I absolutely love that part of the business. Was there a lot of difference between opening the brewery in PG and opening it in Montgomery? Oh, well, first of all, it's Prince George's County. We don't Sorry. say PG. We do not say Prince PG. Prince George's. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff has no idea. Um, so I grew. So I grew up in Silver Spring. So I'm. I'm very. I'm, I'm sensitive to it. Um, so I wouldn't say huge difference, other than the fact. Well, that's not totally true. It has. So when we were opening in Silver Spring, this was you know five to six years ago where we had to literally get laws changed in order to close on our bank loan. And every person that we were talking to that had some position of authority that had to do with licensing, we had to explain over and over and over again, no, we're a brewery. Yes, it's manufacturing. It's not just retail. We're not just a restaurant. And just having to explain what it is and who we are to be able to get the right licensing, that was a lot. And we were kind of like a pain in the ass, I think, to some of these local officials or like, who are these people trying to like create this new thing? You know, nowadays everyone in Montgomery County knows what a brewery is. They right. understand like what that business model is. Um, so that so that was different then. I mean, opening in Prince George's, I have felt I will say that yes, there's still a lot of hoops you got to jump through. There's a lot of licensing and and all of that and legalities, and that's fine. And I think that's a good thing because you don't want someone just opening up shop and not being regulated at any level, but anytime you're talking to folks that are officials that work in the licensing agencies and the permitting agencies, people are excited and super open and welcoming and are really, you feel like a customer when you're interacting with Prince George's County government, whereas that has not always been our experience in Montgomery County. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely answers the question. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's a very different experience. Um, and there's uh, – so Prince George's County is now just sort of – That's right. Show me up and don't say PG. <laughs> <laughs> I have lived in this county. Yeah. I own property in this county. Yeah. Um, I have served on juries in up. this county. So have right. I. I've lived in this county too. Wale says the PG shit. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but no, Prince George's County I think is just starting to to – sort of recognize the value um, and the opportunities provided by uh, local breweries and, and not, brew pubs. Not even just local breweries, just local businesses in general. I mean, if you look at the job growth numbers in 2018, Prince George's County is on an upward trajectory and Montgomery County is on a downward right. trajectory. Yeah. I think that they are, the economic development folks in Prince George's County are proactively recruiting businesses and are just excited to just grow the local economy here. And, yeah. and it shows. I mean, in our interactions with folks at the county level, it's 
always been very positive. Sometimes it's, you know, like, oh, I can't believe I have to fill out that piece of paperwork or whatever, <laughs> but they're at least excited to see you, right? So yeah. that's that, that's been a pretty cool experience. Well, are there any things that Denizens is going to be doing over the next few years that you want listeners to know about or be excited mm-hmm. about or think about? Did you talk about the Logger series? The Logger well, series. Well, that's not set in stone, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, secrets. It's not set in stone. No, we are we are trying to stick to our roots where, you know, at our 15-barrel capacity per batch in Silver Spring, let's utilize that, right, and make things interesting. Interesting may be different to each individual consumer. For us, we're looking at doing lager series where with the yeast strain that's Hard to work with, but very much uh, pleasing as a final product, as well as that is inspired by, sorry, that is inspired by my time in Europe, basically, when I was doing Siebel, it's like over 10 years ago. You're Onde- an old man. Brewery, you're an old man buddy. <laughs> Emma? Jeff, you're old. <laughs> I started brewing when I was 21. <laughs> Of course you did. <laughs> Nobody started brewing before they were 21. <laughs> that would never happen. Never happen. Um, the other thing is uh, more of a localized farmhouse style Saison series, but the um, we're just trying to source more from Maryland DMV area, which has been so actually a, very successful for us recently. Yeah, um, that's an interesting topic because we've been talking to a lot of brewers who are really sourcing local for for ingredients and stuff. So, so tell me a little bit more about what you guys cost more money. <laughs> some of it, I'm sure some it does. It, no, 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 I'm sure it does. Uh, uh, but yeast, what, what yeast do you not so much? But what what do you what do you sourcing locally, or what are you thinking about sourcing? We've locally? We've done yeast. We've done malt, uh, fruit. I need to put more work in and, and find local fruit producers. Fruit has not been a focus of our beers uh, to date, but... I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> or but, more, more accurately, my wife is aware. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that it's not a valuable adjunct right. at all. And I would love to just have the opportunity to like talk with people that are producing these, the, you know, with the fruit and see like, hey, when is it prime for you guys? So there doesn't be flash frozen or anything like that. And it doesn't mean it's a bad product. It's just, there's so many logistics that like, how do we make this cheaper logistically for you? And maybe a little bit cheaper for us when we get it and we can showcase all this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Dark cloud mall house uh, in Cooksville, Maryland. Yeah. We need to go talk to them. Uh, It's it's cool as hell, man. I went up there. I, we use malt for our brute IPA with um, Asho cider and, and restaurant mm-hmm. um, in DC. Yeah. And I saw the malt filled into the bags right after it went through the process, used it within two weeks. It was pretty cool. I never had that experience personally. I've been brewing for over 10 years, you know, it's like <laughs> to see, <laughs> yeah, go to into see the, the malt. And like, like, <laughs> yeah, that's got to be fun. Yeah. But I don't know. I hope more localized stuff can be utilized by us, but have you guys done anything with uh with like hop growing in Maryland? And then no, and it's tougher. It's it's a lot tough. It, this is not the optimal hop mm. growing climate. Uh, not even close. Especially yeah. the really 
weird ass climate we've had over right. the last 18 yeah. months. Right, right. I mean, I what do, happened today? I don't know. Right. <laughs> I, do, I do know that Flying Dog has been working with University of Maryland yeah. and they've just yeah. sort of like on their own been like, we're going to put money towards this research, uh, which is obviously going to impact the whole beer industry in this sure. area positively. Um, so I'm curious to see what they come up with in terms of the research they're doing and they're, you know, they're analyzing okay, there's this reputation that Maryland and D.C. and Virginia are not good places to grow hops, but perhaps there are certain varietals that would thrive here. Yeah. Uh, but the research just has not been done. Right. And so it could be interesting. There, We could find some pretty cool hop varietals around here that might actually thrive. Yeah. I'm interested to see what happens with that. We, we talked to Flying Dog about yeah, that. Yeah, we saw and, their hop fields. And, we saw, and, and the uh, traditionally in the United States – Originally, it was it was sort of the Great Lakes region, Michigan, where mm-hmm. hops were grown. And New York, Just still huge out there, um, and it is. Yeah. And, and and now big in this country is sort of the Pacific Northwest. But a lot of hops, uh, there's not been a lot of experimentation with other regions in the country and sort of what hop varietals will survive mm-hmm. and what that means and what the terroir will add to the flavor and the and and the profiles of those hops. So now that craft beer is growing, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in sort of what hops can you grow mm-hmm. where and what happens when you take those hops and, you know, and add them Yeah, to fl- you know who's doing some, some pretty cool um, brewing stuff on the stuff that has to impact terroir is uh, Josh Chapman down in Black Narrows Brewing in Chincoteague, oh. Virginia. Oh. oh, in Chincoteague, okay. You guys should consider having a conversation yeah. with him. He's doing some really, really cool stuff in terms of supporting local farmers. All of the raw materials that he's getting, he's trying to keep it as it's actually grown in Chincoteague, Virginia. Nice. It's really, really cool stuff that he's doing. Yeah. No, we'll look into that. Yeah, there's some farm breweries in Maryland that are also trying to grow <laughs> their own hops and do everything as local as possible. Part of that, which is great, and also part of it is just they're legally required to well, do yeah. it. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Farm breweries yeah. definitely, they have to do There's a lot a of There's a certain that. amount that they have to grow on the on the farm itself to All put right. in their recipes. Well, listen, we could have this conversation for hours and hours, but uh, we should probably close it up today. So, Julie Verratti, thank you so much. Thank you. Jeff Ramirez, head brewer at Denison's Brewing Company, thank you so much for joining us today. And we want to make sure everybody... Keeps listening to the DC Beer Show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. Uh, Give us ratings and reviews. And always come back to dcbeer.com to get all of the latest information about what's going on in the craft beer scene in the DMV. And remember, always drink great beer.